Thanks for listening to the Three Strands Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. Anybody ever come to church here and uh, hear me say, you picked a really good week to be here? Everybody ever hear me say that? You picked a really good week to be here. Sometimes I'll say that because it's like a, an exciting, bigger day, something different's going on. Sometimes I'll say that because we're starting a new teaching series, and, uh, and so I'm kind of excited about what we're going to teach. Well, I want you to know that today you picked a bad day to be here, okay? So this is like the opposite of all those days. And so if you're here today and you decide you want to just like get up and walk on out, nobody will even judge you because we're going to actually read a verse that says don't judge those people, okay? So, but uh, this is a bad day to be here. This is one of those days where it's like there's about 15 or so topics in the Bible. And if God had decided to consult me before he wrote them, I'd have been like, let's just leave that one out or tweak it a little bit, change it so it'd be a little bit more like user-friendly. I believe we could like make our church bigger if we could like eliminate this principle from the Bible. Of course, God doesn't consult any of us on what he decides to write. And his ways are always higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his plans are better than our plans. And so we're just going to trust him. It's something that Kenny and I are pretty committed to, to teach the whole counsel of God's Word, to not shy away from the difficult, uncomfortable subjects, but to just read it to you, teach what God says, and you guys do what you want with that. If you want to reject what God says, you get to reject what God says and deal with Him on your own. If you want to embrace what God says and reap the benefits from it, you get to do that too. And so this is kind of one of those days. I hope you'll come back the next two weeks I hope you won't walk out today and think like, well, now I know everything that church believes from the Bible about money, because um, that's not true. It's just one part of a three-part series that we're doing, and you really need all three parts to kind of get the full picture of what God teaches in the Bible about this idea. And so I hope you'll come back the next two weeks and kind of hear the last two parts of the series. But um, we're starting this series today called Give Up. Give Up. So you can figure out that play on words on your own as we go through this. It's kind of a play on words. It has to do with like giving up as far as surrendering and giving up as far as all of your giving being upward instead of outward and inward. And so uh, I hope you'll kind of pick up on that as we teach throughout it. But I want to start off today by just reading you a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 7. If you're going to follow along in a hard copy of the Bible, right, you're going to have a tough time today because we're going to be like everywhere, okay? But if you want to um, get the bulk of it, you can turn to Exodus chapter 13. That's where we're going to uh, read the most verses from today. But Exodus chapter 13, you might might want to be a Sunday where you follow along on the screen <laughs> or on a Bible app because it'd be a little quicker to flip the stuff. But uh, I'm going to start today in Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read you two verses that um, kind of get heard, heard a lot or spoken a lot by people in our world. And then I'm going to read you a parallel account of that same story in Luke. So I want to read you, you know, you know what I mean when I say parallel account? It's like the exact same story written by two different authors. And so you're getting kind of like two different perspectives on this same event, okay? So in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking, and this is Jesus' teaching to the crowd around him, starting in verse 1 of Matthew 7. He says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, everybody got that? Okay, so I think I got that. Yeah, okay. So I underline two phrases, the beginning and end of that paragraph. I want you to just say those with me. You ready? Here, the pick up on these two phrases. The first one says, do not judge. Do not judge. All right, Stephanie's with me. Do not judge or you too will be judged. All right, let's try it. You ready? Do not judge or you too will be judged. Okay, that's a C plus. You guys did pretty good. Let's do the last one. The last phrase of the paragraph says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You ready? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, Taylor is not paying attention. Good. Okay, so that was pretty good. So those two phrases, it begins and ends it, right? Don't judge or you two will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you, right? Now I want you to just kind of, if you're in your Bible, keep your finger there. Flip to the other one, the other passage that describes the same story or same teaching from Jesus in Luke chapter 6 and see if you can pick up those same two phrases in this account in Luke's gospel, ready? Verse, 20, verse 37 of Luke chapter 6 says this. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Does that sound familiar? Okay, now he adds some more detail in the middle, okay? 
Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And here, see if this last line sounds familiar too, right? For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Does that sound familiar? You guys can see that, right? The beginning and end is exactly the same. And then Luke adds some more like kind of flavor to the story or, or detail to the story in the middle. But I want you to notice before we read any further, okay, that the word money doesn't show up anywhere in either of those passages. That Everybody got that, right? Nobody saw the word money in there anywhere. Is that true? Okay. So there's a part right in the middle, chapter 6 of Luke, verse 38, the beginning. There's a part in the middle that gets used in church all the time to talk about money. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. And remember, we haven't seen the word money yet. And here's the part in the middle, the beginning of verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. And then there's the end again. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now look at that verse, the whole verse now. Does anybody see the word money in that verse? Okay, but that verse gets used all the time in church to say, hey, give God some money and God will give you some money back. But I want you to know today, the reason I shared these verses with you, the context of this passage, by the way, is not finances or money. The context of this passage is how you treat other people. Judging others, forgiving others, not condemning others. And then it says, the way you judge others will determine the way you get judged. The measure you use will determine the measure you get. Give, and it will come back to you. But it's not talking about money. It's talking about the context of how you treat other people. Am I right? Or did somebody see the word money in there somewhere? Or do we just read that in because it sells well in church? Give to God and he'll give you a Mercedes. Is that really what God wants? Is God sitting around in heaven thinking like, well, I really hope my children give. God's got kind of a deep voice in a southern accent. He's like, well, I really hope my children give. Is that way I can give them a new car? Is that what he's thinking? And then they'll learn the most important lesson in life that they should be able to connive their way to get whatever they feel like getting. Is that really God's purpose? That we would be down here thinking like, I got to figure out what I can give him so I'll get even more back and be better off. Me, me, me. Is that what God's thinking in heaven? But I wanted you to see that while this passage didn't say anything about money, it did talk about giving. And I need you to know that because I need you to know that all throughout the Bible, giving has nothing to do with money. It has to do with your heart. And you might hear that and you might think like, this church is all after my money. They just want my money. Maybe you've been in a church and you've thought that. Maybe you come to this church and you think that's like, all they want is my money. Yes! I mean, I don't want it. Like there is, I don't even know who the church is. So like they don't, that entity doesn't want it. God wants it. Because God wants your heart. I wish it wasn't in there either. Like, if it was just up to me, I'd take it out because it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. Nobody likes to talk about finances and all that. But God knows that for the Christian, there is nothing better than giving to drive selfishness and greed out of your heart. And so it's uncomfortable and it's ugly and we don't want to talk about it. And it's not how you invite a visitor to come to church. Hey man, come to church this week when you're talking about giving. You don't do that right? I had a pastor friend of mine one time, we were talking about church, and he said, uh, how often do you preach on giving? And I said, every week. And I was just messing with him. You know, we don't. Obviously, you've come to church here. You know we don't talk about it every week. But he said, like, how often do you talk about giving? And I said, every week. And he's like, there's no way you talk about it every week. And I said, well, you didn't say, how often do we talk about financial giving? You just said how often we talk about giving. I mean, he meant financial giving. But you can't preach God's word and not talk about giving. How can you talk about God's grace if you don't talk about giving? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So you can't talk about hardly anything in the Bible without talking about the subject of giving. Why? Because giving isn't about money. Giving is about your heart. And so God's going to talk about it over and over and over again all throughout 
the Bible. I need a volunteer. It's going to be you, man, because you're in the front row. I'm sorry. Why are you wearing a name tag? Are you like a four-year-old now or what? Can you come up here for a second? We're friends, so I'm allowed to do that. Just want you to know that. We're friends. All right. This is Michael. There you go. All right. That's right. Somebody's been to recovery meetings. That's what I'm talking about. All right. We know how it rolls, right? Hi, Michael. At the end, you're supposed to go, thanks for sharing, Michael. All right. So uh, I just want you to see that the words give up, while they might ring home for you thoughts about money, the words give up are really words of surrender, right? Can you just stick your hands in the air? Is that okay? Yeah, stick it. Okay. That, I've said this before at our church, that is the universal sign for I surrender. If you go over into some tribe in Africa where they don't know English and you don't know their language and you stick a gun in their face, they're going to do that. Because all over the world, everybody recognizes that that means I give up, right? Now, I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking, there's a lot of, you can put your hands down for just a second, just a second. I don't want anybody thinking you're Pentecostal, so put those, yeah, he'll be running around the room doing something crazy. Okay, so, uh, but I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, we got a lot of little kids in this church, all right? And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but they don't care at all about you guys before and after church. And so if you're in their way, when they're lapping the room in here, they'll run you over. They don't care. They don't care. And I thought about this idea of like living your life surrendered. And I thought about like, what if you had to walk around this room before and after church with your hands up in the air? You would feel very vulnerable. In fact, we've had some kids in this church, and we still do. I'm not naming any names. But if they could, they'd take a cheap shot at you. And they've done that to me. Like, I'll be standing there talking to another adult and just out of nowhere, just be like a boom, right in the midsection. They don't care. It's not an accident. Don't let them pretend like they're cute. And so I thought, I'd just put your hands up one more second. This is not only, eight more, eight more seconds, eight more seconds. This is not only our universal sign for surrender, for I give up, but it's also the stance in life that makes you feel most vulnerable. You'd rather go through life like this or crouch down or ready to fight. But nobody wants to go through life like this because you feel exposed and just anybody could take a cheap shot at you. You can sit down there. I appreciate it. But that's what it looks like to give up because trusting God means I get vulnerable, and it might hurt, and it might not be the way I want to go through life, but if I really trust that his ways are higher than my ways, that his plans are better than my plans, then I throw my hands in the air, and I wave them around. No, I'm just kidding. And I, and I walk through life surrendered, giving up, and that's the idea behind giving financially, too that I'm never going to feel like it's the safe thing to do. But God wants me to walk through life just like that. Why? Because God knows that if he can get you to leverage your finances for him, then he'll get to your heart. In fact, he said that exact same thing. Wherever you put your treasure, there your heart will be also. God knows that wherever you place your money, your heart will follow. Don't believe me? Go out today and invest in one of your buddy's businesses. Go out today and buy a stock and see if you don't start watching the market because you want to know how it's doing, right? Once you put your money somewhere, you all of a sudden find your heart following it. Go out and buy your kids a new $150 pair of basketball sneakers and see if you're not concerned about how they treat them after the game. You better get those off and get your car shoes back on, right? Why? Because you put your treasure into those shoes and now your heart's following it. And so God knows that. But why did God create giving? I mean, God created it. I, I didn't create it. We wouldn't create it. We're pretty selfish by nature. You don't have to have a child who's too old to realize kids are pretty selfish, right? Your child cannot even be able to talk or walk yet 
But if some other kid comes into the house and picks up one of their toys, all of a sudden they're playing with that toy. I want it back, right? Because that's our default, to be selfish. And I want you to know that this is an issue of greed and selfishness, and God is trying to break us of that and make us more generous, more surrender, convince us to give up. I was telling somebody before church about a girl I went on a date with back in college, right? And I went out, and, and I want you guys to know, like, there is like a universal selfishness that will never come out of a man, okay? And this is it. It's our food, all right? Get your hands off our food, all right? Is that fair? So I went out on this date with this girl. We're at this restaurant. I ordered something, and before she ordered, she said, or this is after she ordered, actually. She ordered, then I ordered, and she said, ooh, that sounds good. I'd like to try that. And I said, then you better order your own, right? That was the last date we went on, just for the record. But I was like, what is this with girls who think that like the food on your plate is like fair game for them? Have you guys noticed, some of you guys have noticed that? Like you can order anything you want, but don't take the fries off my plate. In fact, like I have dibs on the fries at the bottom of the bag too. Like those should be guys' fries too. But like, and it's just this like, it's selfishness right? It's deep inside of us. We don't like to share. We like to protect ourselves and look out for number one. It's a heart issue. And so what God is saying in this subject is this, you ready? He's saying, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to start acting like your father in heaven? That's really what he's asking when it comes to giving. And so today what I want to do is I want to teach you this principle from the Bible. I want to read you a passage that almost everybody goes to when they're talking about tithing. I know it's uncomfortable, but I'm going to read it to you from God's Word. Is that okay? It's in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Let me just read through the passage with you. It says this. This is God talking. He does a good job of reminding us it's Him talking. It's almost like Malachi wanted to make sure nobody thinks it's me saying this. I want you to all know it's coming from God. So He keeps reminding us it's Him saying it. In verse 6 of Malachi 3, this is what God speaks to us. I am the Lord, and I do not change. So remember that. We're going to come back to that phrase. I am the Lord, and I do not change. This is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. I love that verse. You hear what he's saying, right? He's like, I'm the Lord. I've always been good. I'm always going to be good. I never change. And that's the only reason I haven't killed you yet. <laughs> that's what he's saying, really, right? It's like, you're so screwed up. If I changed, I'd kill you. I'd get so angry at you. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my ordinances. We'll come back to that word too, right? Ordinances, that's like an um, a ordinary principle, like an ordinary principle of behavior, ordinance, right? You have scorned my ordinances and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Or some translations say the Lord of heaven's hosts, the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? You hear what he's saying to him, right? Like, you're lucky you're not dead already because you've been treating me like garbage. Thankfully for you, I don't ever change. So I keep treating you with mercy and kindness. But if you will return to me, I'll return to you. And they're like, well, how do I return to you? I didn't even know we left you. He's about to tell them how to return to him. You ready? So he says in verse 8, should people rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever rob you? You have robbed me of tithes and offerings. Verse 9. You are under a curse. For your whole nation has been robbing me. And he's going to give him the answer in verse 10. You ready? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my house. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, it's not Malachi, it's me, God say, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. And the only time in the Bible that we're challenged to test God comes right here. He says, put me to the test on this. Your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So what I want to talk to you about today, I'm calling the principle of first. 
The principle of first. If you're a note taker, write that down. If you're not a note taker, write that down anyhow. So, the principle of first. Okay? And so, uh, before I kind of dig into it, um, I want to I just read you like a couple other verses. If you're in that Exodus 13, if you stayed there, that's where we're going to be most of all. But it's this idea that like if God is first in your life, everything else will fall into order. Right? And so you have to make this decision because trouble is going to come whether you're doing what God wants or not. Christians don't avoid trouble. Sometimes it even gets worse if you're a Christian. But trouble is going to come. You have to make this decision. Do I want to go through trouble with God blessing me or do I want to go through trouble with God cursing me? Do I want to go through trouble and have everything in my life in order or do I want to go through my life experience trouble and have everything out of order. That's the choice. Not do you want to avoid trouble because difficulties are going to come no matter what. So look at Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites, the first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. Okay, hang with me. I know this is like kind of creepy Old Testament stuff to some of you, but just hang with me for a second. That phrase there belongs to me. I wish I could emphasize for you how strong that language is in the Hebrew. It's like the strongest legal way to say that, where God is saying, the firstborn of all your kids, of all your animals, belongs to me. As if he was saying, like, if you were to take me to court and say, no, 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 that belongs to me, the judge would throw it out as if there were no legal standing For you to say, I might have a share in that. No, God is like, no, there is no doubt. There is no question. There is no legal challenge that would hold up. This stuff belongs to me. It's mine. And then skip down to verse 12 in Exodus 13. He says, now Moses gives him instructions on how they're supposed to do this. You must present all the firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they, here's that phrase again, belong to him. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. In other words, if, if, you, don't, if you don't give it away, if you don't bring it, if you don't redeem it, you're going to lose it anyhow, is really what he's saying. Does that make sense? Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Okay. We don't have time to read the whole chapter, Exodus 13, but let me just kind of sum up for you what he's saying here, right? He's saying, I own everything that comes to you first. The firstborn, okay? I own everything that comes to you first. And so you're going to give to me, you're going to bring me all your firstborn children. Sounds barbaric. And all your firstborn male animals. Sounds gross. And you're going to sacrifice them to me. But there's a way to redeem some of it. Redeem just means to buy back. So you can buy back some of the sacrifice from God. Here's how you do it. And he gives two examples of animals, a donkey and a lamb. And he says, if you don't want to sacrifice your firstborn male donkey, you can redeem it. You can buy it back by sacrificing an additional firstborn lamb. Does that make sense? Don't sacrifice any of your sons. Instead, sacrifice an additional firstborn lamb to spare, to redeem, to buy back your sons, okay? I know that sounds confusing, but just think with me for a second. Okay, how does that kind of apply to us today? So what he does in this text is he gives two animal examples. One animal would have been known by all the Israelites at that time to represent clean animals, a lamb. And one animal would have been known to represent an unclean animal, a donkey. They wouldn't eat donkey, right? And really, you shouldn't eat donkey anyhow, okay? Anybody shouldn't, but they definitely wouldn't have, right? So he gives these two animals. He says, there's a clean animal and an unclean animal. Sacrifice to me the firstborn of all those animals. But if you don't want to sacrifice the firstborn unclean animal, donkey, then sacrifice an additional clean animal in its place. Do the same thing with all your sons. Now think for a second. Let me ask you two questions, right? When we're born... Are we born spiritually clean or spiritually unclean? Spiritually unclean. The only person that would say you're born spiritually clean is somebody who doesn't have any kids. 
Because you know you don't have to spend any time at all teaching your kids how to be bad. They just know. They know how to be selfish and whine and complain, throw a fit and demand their own way. So we're born, the Bible's pretty clear, spiritually unclean. We all have a sinful nature that we're born with. All right, second question. When Jesus was born, was Jesus born spiritually clean or spiritually unclean? Spiritually clean. He never sinned. He was the perfect, the Bible calls him, spotless lamb, right? And so here you are 4,000 years later seeing Jesus be the example of this exact story that God set up way back in Exodus of the clean can be sacrificed to redeem the unclean. See, what I'm talking about is a story that isn't about money, but that is woven all throughout the Bible. Where you can bring the clean to redeem the unclean. Which is exactly what Jesus did for us. And so I need you to see these three words. I'm going to have them on the screen. But these three words, when it comes to the principle of first, there's three words that in the Bible are all connected. Now they don't mean the exact same thing, but they're all connected to the principle of first. Firstborn, first fruits, and tithe. Okay? Firstborn is the one we're talking about in this passage, right? Firstborn. It represents animals and people. The firstborn of any animal or person. Firstborn, right? First fruits represents like agriculture and crops, right? The first fruits would be like the first of all your vegetables or fruits. Does that make sense? And then tithe represents the first of your, your money or your wealth. But in the Bible, all three of these are connected and there's literally dozens and dozens of verses on all three and they all use that same phrase that they all belong to God. The first. And so a tithe, no matter what you've heard in church before, a tithe is not 10% of your income. A tithe is the first 10% of your income. You got it? You see how they're all connected here? It's not about giving God 10% of your income. It's about giving God the first 10% of your income. That's what a tithe is. This is the principle of the first. So let me give you three quick facts about the principle of the first from these passages we're looking at. Here's the first one. We already covered it. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. You got that, right? The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. And so Jesus kind of like represents this idea of the clean sacrificing for the unclean. In other words, like maybe you've never thought about it like this, but what if, think of it this way. Jesus is kind of like God's tithe. Do you ever think of that? Like he gave up his firstborn. The first and best he had to offer, he brought to redeem the unclean. Jesus is like God's tithe. And you always give God the first, not the end. It's not 10%. It's not giving 10% that enacts God's blessing on your life. It's the faith that enacts God's blessing on your life. It takes no faith to give God whatever I got left. But it does take faith to give God what I have before I pay anything else. See, you can't, you can't believe the lie that it's somehow the amount of money I give or it's the percentage I give, that that's what enacts God's blessing and breaks the curse he talked about in Malachi 3. No, the blessing is enacted. The curse is broken by me giving him my first fruits, my firstborn, my first money. I don't know if you remember this story from the Old Testament, but Israel's getting ready to like go in and take Jericho, the first city in the promised land, right? And God gives them this instruction. He says, when you go in and you uh, siege the city and you take it, take all of the silver and the gold and the treasure, bring it into my house of worship and give it to me as an offering, as a tithe. You think, that doesn't make sense. Why didn't God tell him to go get 10% of the loot from Jericho and bring it in as a tithe? Well, think about it for a second. It's easy because Jericho was the first city. 
He didn't tell him to do that at any of the other cities. But at Jericho, he told him to do that, to act as a tithe. Here's the second fact about the principle of first. Ready? The first fruits must be offered or brought. Must be offered or brought. Let me show you what I mean. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of everything you produce. Just for the record, that's not in the law. That's hundreds of years after the law. For those of you who think that it only applied to Old Testament law, right? And then look at Exodus 23, 19. It says, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first fruits into the house of the Lord your God. Notice that it says bring, not give. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say you're supposed to give a tithe. It always says you're supposed to bring a tithe. You know why? Because you can't give away something that doesn't belong to you. You can bring it, but you can't give it. And we get into this mindset of thinking it's all ours when God is like, no, it belongs to me. Now you can bring it. In fact, in the Bible, there's only two things described in the Bible that you can do with a tithe. I wish I didn't have to tell you this. It just is what it is, guys. I, I wish I didn't have to read it to you and talk about it. But there's only two things the Bible describes that you can do with a tithe. You're, a tithe. You ready? You can bring it or you can steal it. That's it. I know it's uncomfortable. Some of you need to like roll your pant legs up. and You're like, it's getting deep in here. It's getting too deep for me. I don't like it. But that's the only two descriptions about the Bible never says to give a tithe. It says to bring your tithe or you have stolen the tithe. That's it. And so you're left with only these two choices. And that story I told you about where Israel goes into Jericho, if you can remember that story from the Old Testament, some of you have read that before or have heard that before. There was a guy in Israel named Achan and he didn't listen to that. He stole some of the money. He kept back some of the silver and gold and hid it for himself. And nobody else knew about it. And they go on to the next town and get defeated. God allows thousands of them to get killed by the next city because this one guy disobeyed. Does God take it seriously? I would think so. And so you bring it to God first. And if you do, it's blessed. And if you rob him and keep it all for yourself, it's cursed. And so what I'm telling you today is like what God's trying to get you to is a place where you realize 90% of what's blessed is better than 100% of what's cursed. Way back at the beginning of time, in Genesis chapter 4, the first kids, Cain and Abel. Anybody remember the story of Cain and Abel? Let me read you that passage. Maybe you never saw it in this way before. It it hit me like brand new this week. I was talking to Stephanie about it. It was either last night or early this morning. I don't know what time it was, but sometime late last night. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. This is what it says way before the law, just for the record. In verse 3, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift. Now, what did Abel bring? Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel's gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Why not? And I've heard a lot of people in church preach and teach like the reason he didn't accept Cain's gift is because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. Anybody ever hear that? Because <laughs> it wasn't a blood sacrifice. It was fruits and vegetables. And God doesn't like, he's like, he's not vegan. So he didn't like that, right? But, but that's not in there. Did you catch what's in there? What Abel brought to God was the firstborn of his flocks, the best and first. And what Cain brought was some of his produce. And God wouldn't accept it. And I want to take it a step farther and tell you today, like, I don't think God could have accepted it. Because God isn't going to be second. He's not going to take our leftovers. You think he's in it because he needs your money? Like, you think God's sitting up in heaven thinking like, well, if they don't give today, we're about to close this whole church thing now and stop telling people about my son. You think God opens up his wallet and like, 
there just isn't enough money in here to pay for the choir. This would shut those angels down. They're not going to be able to sing this month. You think he needs our cash? Or you think he's after our heart? So you think he's going to accept being second? Being the last thing on your budget? Being the if I have anything extra to throw in this week? See, tithing represents who's actually first in your life. And you can walk around all the time telling me, Jesus is number one. You can have like a Jesus is number one big finger that you wave at sporting events. Or you can walk around like wearing church merch. Or you can like walk around with like bumper stickers on your car. Be like, me and Jesus are a majority. You know, praise God, all this. Like, oh, I'm so blessed beyond what, you can do all that. But show me your checkbook. And I'll tell you who's first or what's first. You don't have to actually show me. I don't actually want to see your checkbook. It would really discourage me because you probably like, have more than me. I don't want to see your checkbook. But I'm just saying, like, if you look at somebody's checkbook, you can tell who's first, what's first. So let me ask you the question, is God really first in your life? So here's the third fact about the principle of first. The tithe must be first. The tithe must be first. Look at Leviticus 27.30. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. There's that phrase again. Belongs to the Lord. It must be set apart to Him as holy. Holy just means separated out as something special. So God's tithe is to be separated out of the rest of our money as something special. Set apart for something or someone unique and special. Let me give you an example of this, right? Let's say you're a landscaper and I hire you to come over to my house and do some landscaping work because it is pitiful, right? Like that is not our thing for sure. So you come over, I'm like, hey man, I'd like to get this, this, I have some trees and shrubs and blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. And you put all this stuff in. You're like, I want to be upfront about the bill. So you give me the bill. It's all itemized and broken down. And I look at the bill and the bill says like materials. And it's like materials two grand or something like that. You know, it has labor costs because I got to pay my guys. And it's like the labor cost. And then it says profit. And the profit is $1,000. I want to keep this simple math. Is that okay? $1,000. And so I come out at the end of the job. I'm like, it looks good. And I, I only have $100 bills, you know, because that's, all I can add. So, it's, so we got $100 bills. I don't really, but I'm just saying. So I give you how many $100 bills? 10. All right. Some of you are like, carry the one, all that. I got you. Okay. So I give you $1,000 bills. So can you see it in the landscaper's hand? He's holding a stack of 10 $100 bills. Now, what part of that is the tithe? 100. That's good. I see it. Sam smoke coming out of his ears. So yeah, $100. But, but which 100 yeah, the first one, or the one on top, right? The first one, right? So I take that 100 and I set it aside. That means make it holy. I set it apart to bring to God before I do anything with the rest of it. That's a tithe. So why does God want us to do it this way? He tells us in Exodus 13. I'm going to read it to you. Exodus 13, back in that passage we started in, starting in verse 14. This is what he said. This is why you do it. There's three reasons he gives in here why you do it. You ready? Verse 14. In the future, your children will ask you, what does all this mean? Why are you taking that money to church? Why are you writing out that check? Why are you online giving money to God? They're going to ask you what this all means. And you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our slavery. Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, so the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout the whole land of Egypt, both people and animals. That is why I now sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except the firstborn sons are always bought back. It's a reminder that the power of the Lord's mighty hand brought us out of Egypt. Why does God want us to tithe? Give the first 10% of our money to Him. Back to Him. Why? He gives three reasons in there. You ready? To remember what He's done for us, to teach our children how much we owe Him, and to obey Him in faith. Those three things are in there. Okay, this happened to me. She doesn't remember it. I'm not going to name any names. But I got somebody in my family, a girl. I'm not going to say who it is. 
And a couple years ago, I was sitting, I always sit down at our desk to do like all the bills. And I'm real old, so like I write out a check still for the church. You know, so. And so I'm like, I'm right now doing our bills. So I get, I sit down at the beginning of every month. And I do our finances for the month. It's kind of like my thing. I like it, right? And so I'm sitting there and I always start with like our church check. And so I'm writing that out, church check, and then I just set it aside. And then I go through the rest of the bills and everything else I pay online. You can ask me about it afterwards if you're really curious. But so, so I write out the check. I set it aside. And this person in my family, we'll just call her, I don't know, Hidney for lack of a better name. So she comes up to me and she sees this check sitting there. And she looks at it and she says, what's that? And it was like the door just opened, right? And this is what I got to tell her. She doesn't remember it probably because, you know, she was little. Now she's huge, but... She doesn't remember, but I got to tell her. This is what I told her. You ready? I wasn't even thinking about this passage, really, but I just told her this idea. I said, that's the money that mommy and I give to Jesus every month. And then she said, why? And I said, because he deserves it from me. And I need you to know that daddy wasn't always like he is right now. I used to be a jerk. I didn't say jerk because she wasn't supposed to say stuff like that. So like I used to not be like I am now. I used to not give God anything. I used to give God very little. But God stepped in and rescued me and changed me. And I'm different now. I used to treat mommy bad. I used to be all about me. I used to be selfish and proud and arrogant, but God, with his mighty right hand, stepped in and changed my life. And now I give him my money every month to remind myself it all belongs to him. And I hope I get 10 more chances to tell my kids that as they grow up. Maybe it'll stick. Maybe it won't. But I want them to know the reason I do it is because I owe him everything I got. I don't do it so he'll give me a bunch of stuff back. I do it because I want him to have the first and best that I get every single month without question. Okay, so let me just wrap this up for you real quick. In church, over the years, I've really heard two main reasons why people don't tithe. Now there's probably more. You may have a different one. But I've really heard two main reasons why people don't tithe. Here's the first one. You ready? People will say like, well, it's not biblical. I don't know if you ever heard that. Have you talked to somebody? If you go to Bible college, you might hear somebody say that. It's not biblical. I'll just read you a couple of verses, okay? Maybe just read through these couple of verses. I don't want my words to defend that cause. So let me read you what God says in Genesis 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, 500 years before God gave us the law saying you had to tithe, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High brought Abram, that's Abraham, some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Sounds like a tithe. How about Genesis 28? Jacob's out in the wilderness at Luz, by himself. He flips the stone on his side, makes a memorial to God. And this is what he says in verse 22. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. 400 years before God wrote the law. How about in the law? Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you have conquered it and settled there, put some of the first fruits from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it. There's that phrase again. You can't give it. You can bring it. Bring it to the designated place of worship. Where is that for you? The place the Lord your God chooses for His name to be honored. Now you hear people say, oh, it is biblical, but it's only in the Old Testament. Okay. Well, what if Jesus said to do it? If Jesus said to do it, would you do it then? So let me show you Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is having a conversation with a bunch of religious phonies, a bunch of hypocrites, religious leaders who are fake. And in verse 23, this is what he says to him. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. In other words, he's saying, you tithe on everything. Even the spices that you put on your food, you give a tenth of those. But you ignore the more important things like giving mercy and justice to people. And then look how he ends that in verse 23. He says this, you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. In other words, just because you tithe doesn't mean you can stop loving people. Just because you give God the first 10% of your money doesn't mean you can refuse to have mercy on anybody else. But he says, don't ignore the latter thing. Did Jesus say it or not? How about at the end of the Bible? You get near the end of the Bible in Hebrews, and they bring back up Melchizedek from the Old Testament again, who's like a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Some theologians think maybe he was Jesus in the Old Testament. And they're talking about giving the tithe. And it says they give some of the tithe to Melchizedek. And this is what it says in verse 8 of Hebrews 7. In one case, the tithe is collected by people who die, but in another case, by him who is declared to be living. We don't have time to read all of Hebrews 7, but really what he's saying there is like, you bring your tithe in to these priests who are all going to die, but really the offering of the tithe is being received by Jesus who won't die. In other words, you bring your ten, the first 10% of what God gives you to your church, but it's really being received by God who is eternal. Is it biblical or is it not biblical? I mean, I only read you like 33 verses today about it. Like how many verses from God's Word does it take before it's actually something that's in the Bible? We looked at Genesis at the very beginning. We looked there at the very end at Hebrews. We looked in the Gospels. We looked at the prophets. We looked at uh, literature writing and Proverbs. We looked at the law. We looked, where else in the Bible do we have to go before we're going to start saying, it's time for me to grow up and start acting like my dad. I don't like it either. I'm with you. I don't like it either. It's not biblical. Here's the other reason most people give for why they, don't, why they refuse or why they won't tithe. Ready? We can't afford to tithe. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like that. We can't afford to tithe. Those are the two most common things I hear. There might be some others. We can't afford to tithe. I just want to say this about that one. Ready? You think this through for yourself based on everything we just read from God's Word today. You will never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. Because it's the tithe that breaks the curse that is on all your finances. That's what God taught us in Malachi. There's a curse against you because you've robbed me. And if you will return to me and bring all of the tithe into the storehouse for me, then I will break the curse and I will start to protect your crops. Your grapes won't fall to the ground before, they, before they're ripe. I'll, pretend, I'll begin to protect your income. You'll never have enough to tithe until you tithe. That's just the principle in God's Word. I don't like it either. You want me to join you and like, I don't like it? I'm with you. I wish there was another way to preach it. But it's what's there. So what do you do with it? And the last thing I want to share with you is this. When Jesus was here on earth, didn't he say, hey, I'm going away for a while, but I'll come back again? Didn't he tell his followers that? I am going away for a while to prepare a place for you, but I'm going to come back again. And didn't he leave us with some instructions about what to do while he was gone? And wasn't the instruction, wasn't the overriding instruction that he gave us while he was gone was, hey guys, I'm going away. I'll be back again. While I'm gone, take care of my bride. Isn't that what he said? I mean, is the church in the Bible the bride of Christ or not? So what do you think Jesus thinks when he asks you to take care of his wife and you give her whatever you got left. Hey, I got a half a leftover peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the fridge if you want. Is it possible that tithing 
is more personal to Jesus than you thought it was. Because the money you give is being used to take care of his wife. Nobody's going to check your checkbook. Not going to ask you to sign any kind of financial commitment card, any of that stuff, right? I don't want to be looking to see if you're tithing. I don't need to be the Holy Spirit. You got, the, you got your own Holy Spirit. He can take care of you on his own. I just wanted to read you God's truth and challenge you on it. Is it true or is it not true? If it's true, when are you going to start acting like your dad? Could it be that it means a lot more to him than you think it does? Could it mean that the curse that feels like it's been looming over your finances for a generation is directly tied to the fact that you've been robbing God? Listen, if you're here and you're like, I'm not a Christian, I can't stand Jesus, I hate God's guts, don't give him a dime. I'm with you. But don't walk around saying you're a Christian and then abuse his wife. Don't walk around saying you're a Christian and that Jesus is number one in my life when he's actually number 13 on your budget. I'll pay my mortgage, pay that cell phone bill, got to save, go on vacation. Is it true or is it not true? Let me pray for you guys. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us all in this room ears to hear. Ears to hear and the courage to act. Help us to not be so blind, God, but to see from your word how important tithing really is to drive out selfishness and greed for my life and to break the curse financially over my family and to set us free. In Jesus' name.